Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofsetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Sarah, it's amazing how our question of what's the bravest thing you've ever done has allowed our guests to share some incredible stories with us about love, resilience, courage. Today's story from Christoph, the chief marketing officer of global brands at Walgreens Boots Alliance was so unexpected and yet so timely from when he was 19 years old, working on a train that went from Brussels into Switzerland and how on a daily basis he had to fight racism to protect his passengers. Basically, they would come on the train and they would just bluntly ask any black people or any Algerians. And then there was an expectation that you as a guard on that train would just present the dodgy passports to them. Yeah, you think you know a colleague and then you hear a story like that and we begin to not just see Christoph as a marketing leader, but a true global citizen. And a brave one at that. And it goes to show the importance of empathy, not just from a humanity perspective, but how it actually makes you better in business. Being able to understand and empathize with people and their needs at all different levels really just helps unlock potential for better connections. Christoph Narek, hailing all the way from London. Hello. Hey, how are you? Doing really well. So I feel like there's not a week that goes by without Walgreens Boots Alliance in the news, whether it's being a major player and delivering the COVID vaccine, your new CEO. It's just so much is going on within the organization that I have to ask, how are you staying focused through a period of so much change? Yeah, I mean, well, the first thing is probably, you know, change is, is a constant, I guess, in the current environment. I'd be more worried if we weren't changing. <laughs> it's probably the first thing to say, because the industry, uh, consumers' behaviors, it's all changing at a pace. I think somebody said, uh, you know, in the digital space, we made five years, a leap forward of five years in just the space of a, of a few months or, or a year's time in the meantime. The first thing that I guess guides is ultimately your purpose uh, as a business. Our purpose is, is you know, help people live healthier and happier lives. And, and I think, you know, all the things that we're doing is ultimately in function of that. And I think as a business, being clear on what are you there for to do, uh, I think really helps. And then underneath that, clearly, we have a number of key things that we want to do for society, including, you know, building those healthcare destinations, not just a shop where you go and pick up some products but actually become true neighborhood healthcare destinations. And, and we've done lots of work in that space, of course, as well. But I think having that clarity of our purpose and then what are we trying to do just keeps us incredibly focused. And in particularly in these times, I couldn't be more proud of working for a company like WBA, who plays a 
you know, a, a crucial role in, in vaccine administration, testing, etc. And you can feel that in, in the business as well. I mean, people truly feel that they can live their purpose. And I think that's, that's what keeps everybody focused uh, and energized, I guess. It makes you feel like you're actually close to an essential worker as opposed to Rachel and I who are just like tech entrepreneurs. Non-essential. <laughs> Very non-essential. We're just going to suggest that you go to the top of the list by virtue of you you being an essential worker, but we'll let the NHS decide that. <laughs> so you're responsible for a key part of the WBA business, which the end consumer may actually not be aware of that because you have your own private label brands. So how do you guys navigate bringing your own brands to market while ensuring the manufacturers that also sell at your retail locations aren't upset by your competitive position? I mean, it's a struggle that all retailers deal with. I'm just curious from your perspective, how you look at it. Yeah, there's a few things. And, and of course, the first thing is, as a retailer, you need to provide your customers with choice because that's what customers expect from us. So so in that sense, even if we wanted to, we would never just run our own brand. So a brand portfolio at every side of the spectrum is important to, to make sure that customers continue to be interested in coming and shopping with you. So that's, I guess, the first thing to say. The second thing is around clear rules of engagement around our business in the sense that there's a very strong firewall between my organization, which runs brands like, for example, beauty brands like Number 7, which is a key beauty brand both in the UK and the US. We run that as a firewall organization. For example, my organization is in New York. Uh, Walgreens is in Chicago, and, and we have a similar split here in London. And then secondly, there's clear rules that whatever our trading parts on the Walgreens side here from L'Oreal, for example, do not get passed over to me. I just discover it whenever it hits the market. So we have some really strong guidance around that. The last bit on that is, you know, if you think about a portfolio of brands, of course, we're not the only ones. If you think about Sephora, for example, part of LDMH group, they have brands called like Dior. <laughs> they need to keep other people happy as well. So it's it's not a new challenge. But clearly, when we think about our brand portfolio, I think we, we really need to navigate that very carefully and, and make sure that we have the right brand portfolio. But again, that we are respectful and support uh, those other brands as well, because ultimately it's about what the consumer wants. Every year or every quarter we need to pitch like l'oreal would for our space in store and if our products are not selling we will also get a little knock from our trading counterparts or our merchants saying like hey i'm going to take this off the shelf because it's not selling so we we get some preferential treatment but not up to the point that it doesn't make business sense i guess (laughs) that's got to be a very awkward internal conversation yes no (laughs) your product doesn't sell very well what the hell are you thinking yeah, exactly. It's all your fault. No, it's your fault. No, we don't. Again, as with anything in innovation, sometimes it works and sometimes it don't. And, you know, it's not because you're part of the same family that you should keep something on the shelf if the consumer doesn't want it. So, but again, we, we really enjoy very strong support from our retail partners, which helped us grow those brands. And it's like what a Dior enjoys at Sephora. They get a little bit of advantage in terms of a slightly better shelf positioning or a bit closer to the entrance and a bit more visible, whatever. But by and large, we need to provide fair support to both branded players as our own brands. You mentioned sometimes it doesn't work out like any form of innovation. Can you share any stories of a brand that maybe flopped that you brought to market? Not necessarily a whole brand. I said we, we still have a brand portfolio and it works quite well, but 
if you think about innovation, sometimes you might be a bit too ahead of the curve. Like on number seven, I remember we launched these uh, vitamin C products. I think it was about five years ago. But everybody was still on about wrinkles, etc. And we tried to do something in the radiance space, which at the time, not, not many people were doing, actually. And so we were struggling a little bit. It was like a really nice serum with powder and you pressed it and the powder went into the serum you shook it it was fresh but it was only fresh for i think a week you need to use it up in a week so mm. all very fancy very nice but the consumer was just not ready for it at that point in time fast forward now five years and all of a sudden vitamin c radiance is a really big deal now and so we have now relaunched a similar product but under a new umbrella with some further side products as well. And now it's actually working very well. So yeah, so it's, hmm. it's, it's sometimes around timing of when you do your innovation. Um, so much of business is timing. On that note, some of your brands like number seven are available at other retailers. Mm-hmm. Strategically, when do you make the decision to move a product from the Walgreens boot shelf to say a retailer like Ulta? Yeah. It's a good question, actually. And it's a lot in the strategic work that we do is it's different by country. For example, in the UK, number seven is only in boots. And so what we look at is where is the market? Uh, where where does the consumer go to shop beauty? And so in the UK, boots has quite a significant chunk of that beauty market. And so as a result, it kind of makes sense to stay in exclusivity to boots with number seven because it's a win-win situation. We get, because as you know, when you give a brand an exclusivity to a retailer, you typically get some extra support from that retailer. And so in this case, we win because we keep an exclusivity to Boots. But for Boots, it's a great footfall driver because number seven is you know, the number one beauty brand in the market. So if anybody wants to buy number seven, they need to come to Boots. So we have this synergistic win-win situation. But then go to the US, it's a slightly different situation. Walgreens is an important retailer in beauty, but it only has about 10% of the market. So as we launched brands like Number 7 or Soap and Glory in the US, it doesn't make sense to keep them in exclusivity to a retailer that only has 10% of the market. However, advantages that is for us, it wouldn't, for them, it's not a footfall driver because our brands are still well, now they're getting a bit more popular. Uh, but, you know, our brands were unknown when we launched them in the US. So they were not a footfall driver for Walgreens. And for us as a brand, it didn't make sense to keep them exclusive because it's only 10% of the market. So that's when we decided, let's go out more broadly, you know, Ulta, Target. And now more recently, number seven is available at Walmart as well, because that's where the consumers go to shop their products. And hence why we distribute that as we build our brands um, with, with, with all of those retailers. I got to wonder what that JVP looks like, <laughs> like the JVP with Walmart and number seven and the WBA folks. That's just going to be so fascinating. I'd love to be a fly on the wall for something like that. <laughs> Pivoting a little bit over to personalization, which is a double-edged sword on the one hand. Obviously, it's wonderful when consumers get offers mm-hmm. that are very much tied to their shopping behaviors because it's much more relevant. On the other hand, there are all these privacy concerns. And especially looking at your role much more globally, you're dealing with country rules, GDPR, CPAC. There's so many different things. How do you reconcile all of those different needs plus the importance of efficacy and giving your customers what they want? Yeah, I think, I mean, ultimately, privacy is is, is king, right? So you, you need to make sure that. And, and for me, a good rule in that respect is, would a customer expect this? If it starts feeling a little bit creepy, then probably you're, you know, all of the legal aspects aside, 
if it starts feeling a bit like this is odd, you probably are, are, are not in the right zone. So I think <laughs> I talk about that uh, cool to creepy spectrum. Yeah. Like sometimes you see something, you're like, Oh, my God, that's so cool. And and then there's that other spectrum of like, yes, why are you stalking me? You, you you're freaking me out. And I don't want to do business with you. <laughs> If you just search for a hemorrhoid cream, you probably don't want it to follow around in all your social media feeds that you're sharing and with your friends. <laughs> you know? uh, but so uh, anyway, so yeah, so to your point, it needs to be relevant. It needs to add value to people's life and for sure not being creepy. So I guess that's just, I guess, common sense. But then I think within our uh, industry, I think, and particularly, you know, being both a retailer and a product development company, if you want, and a, and a global brands company, um, it gives us real opportunities on a number of fronts, I think. One is more on the product development side, because we have all of that first party data. We can actually see what consumers are actually doing and hence make sure if there's a trend coming or we can see it already in the purchases or uh, the searches on our websites as well. And of course, many other sources of search, but <laughs> at least we can get some signals from that that helps us develop the right product portfolio. I think the second thing is, of course, how we how we market uh, our products. And, and you know, if, if we know that the person is a caregiver or whatever, the way, you know, we, 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 we advertise products to them and the way we make recommendations will be relevant to them. But I think that the most interesting space these days is, I would say, healthcare experience, like if I talk big healthcare part of my portfolio, um, is really those healthcare experiences. Because if you think about it, for now, we were more, I would say, an e-tailer, you know, where, where you, you sell your stuff, you know, whatever you want, paracetamol, okay, you search paracetamol, you get paracetamol. But actually, um, there's much more to that journey because, you know, why are people taking those medications? And, and so actually moving from just a product to a service is, I think, one of the next best things that we can start doing because I feel that's where it would add value. Like if somebody comes to you, and we have, um, you might have seen it in on Walgreens, we have a uh, part of our app is called Find Care. You go on there and you, for example, say I'm a bit short of breath. And then basically you get all of these help and, you know, it goes from, actually product recommendations, which is, I would say, basic thing, but also diagnostics, and that could lead even into you know, blood tests, whatever have you might need, uh, to getting professional help, where you say, actually, I do want to talk to a doctor. Uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, you have it. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really incredible. And we're building that out as a true experience platform, where if you think about it in the physical world, you go to a doctor or you go to see our pharmacist in our store and, the, and you have a conversation around, well, I have a bit of a headache or I have this weird skin patch or whatever. You know, you have that conversation with them and they will help you diagnose what the issue could be. And then they recommend the product. And then next time you go in, they ask you, how has it gone? Is it improved or not? Or do you need something else? It's, it's how do we recreate those experiences online? I think that's where personalization you know and that's not where it would be creepy because people are actually uh, you know coming to you for advice and for and, and i think that's where we can add a lot of value as a retailer and you know go beyond just selling a few products to becoming that healthcare hub and that healthcare destination i can only imagine in 
asking for help and finding some help for, let's just say, using your example of hemorrhoid cream and then going back to the store and the associate saying, so how are your hemorrhoids doing? <laughs> like, no, that's also creepy. Yeah. So yeah, we need to make sure that we don't cross the border there. But yes, all of these things, of course, are handled with the, the need of care and attention to privacy, etc. But yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And also want to be very clear, I do not have hemorrhoids, just full disclosure. <laughs> um, so you're, you're on the retail side, obviously, with a heavy duty sprinkling of brand building. But you also spent many years at P&G, right? So what advice would you give to your former P&G self now that you've seen things from the other side? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's really around when you're in a CPG, you often have quite a narrow view of what your category is and what you're dealing with in terms of a consumer. Like when you're in a retailer, you actually see the holistic needs of that customer. For example, if you're running gastro whatever gsk or jnj whatever you really focus on that gastro issue but actually if you think about it how can we help consumers diagnose what is the actual issue right what is causing the gastro how can you actually prevent it through a combination of prebiotics probiotics symbiotics digestive enzymes all of those things uh, and then how can you then help treat when there is an issue where the gastro product comes in? But then actually in the aftercare, in the recuperation, how can you help people there as well? And so I think the one thing is that I would, you know, advise to my, my younger self, if you want, is look at your consumer in the most holistic sense and identify the full journey that that person is under, is in, rather than just focusing on that moment or oh, I have a pill against gastro here's your pill against gastro and I'll make it 10% better next time around. You know, whilst there is so much more going around that person's life, I think sometimes we don't focus on that. And particularly now that we're in an omni-channel world, uh, looking at that in a, in a holistic way, I think that's where the opportunities are. Christoph, we could keep picking your brain about brand building and retail forever, but we are at our final question, right. which is, what is the bravest thing that you've ever done? Uh, but you did give me the option of going personal or, or, or work-related. So I went personal, actually. When I was uh, 18, 19 years old, actually, uh, and I was working as a uh, train, like with the night trains uh, between Brussels and other cities in Belgium. So uh, the night trains left out of Brussels. Uh, it was before, you know, the European Union was uh, complete election. Like, there was no Schengen. So there was border controls at the Swiss border. And so my role was to take care of the clients on my carriage and about 60 passengers. And one of the things was I needed to gather all of their passports and then present them to the border control. But they were a bit racist, to say the least. Basically, they would come on the train and they would just bluntly ask any black people or any Algerians. And then there was an expectation that you as a guard on that train would just present the dodgy passports to them and they would just check those because they were too lazy to check all of them and so all of my you know my boss actually said yeah this is the procedure he warned me even before arriving to the border and said like that's the procedure just follow it uh, otherwise you'll get into trouble and i just bluntly refused to do that every time we crossed the swiss border in the middle of the night 
And they would come in like heavily armed, asking the same question all the time. And I would say, no, here's all the passports, help us out. Wow. Uh, you know, um, uh, and once they actually held up the whole train because of that. Then they gave a warning to my boss and said, like, that's going to happen more if you don't work with us. But I kept on doing that. Uh, I felt it was the right thing to do. What year was this? This was 90. That was at the end of the 90s. Yeah. So a little while ago. Wow. So it's incredible. Right? I hope things have changed in the meantime because it needs to change. And, you know, we, we all know around Black Lives Matter and now Asian hate, it's uh, needed more than ever. That's incredibly disturbing. Yeah, it's sad. I hope things have changed now. Wow, that's awful and also brave, but holy crap, so messed up. Yeah, it is. It is. We need it more than ever now. We all need to become actively anti-racist rather than just, you know, because, you know, could have just ignored it and said, like, here's the passports, you know, not no problem. But yeah, we all need to stand up, I think, more and more. You never know where these stories go. Um, but to experience like that, mm. that at 19, I'm sure it's really shaped who you are today. So, you know, we really appreciate you sharing that. You're welcome. On that note, We've covered a lot of territory in this episode. Christoph, we really appreciate your time and everything that Walgreen Boots Alliance is doing right now to help eradicate this pandemic. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share this link with a friend. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just the thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of Truth, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice, meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcast. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.